Well, welcome again. Good morning, church. Great to see you. Online audience, we're glad you're with us. And if you're a guest, we're just grateful you are here with us today. And welcome back to our campers. A lot of you uh, uh, campers and leaders and counselors were gone last week at Frontlines. Welcome back. Heard you guys had a great week. And uh, two of our kids were there. My son Cruz and daughter Isabel were two high schoolers at the camp. And it sounds like they had a great time. And then uh, my wife, Rika, and myself and our youngest daughter, Faith, were actually in Chicago last week. Some of you know that. Uh, our daughter was born with cleft lip and palate in China, and so she's had multiple surgeries over the years, and her surgeon moved from Cleveland to Chicago, so we just kind of followed him over for the repairs. And so we were over there for what hopefully could be her last surgery in, in, in many years um, for, for the cleft lip, cleft palate. And while we're there, we get to stay at the Ronald McDonald House, which if you're familiar with that organization, it's a great organization. It's kind of like a hotel meets home. And so just blocks from the hospital, we got to be in close proximity to the surgery and recovery and then have a nice place for her to recover for a couple of days once released from the hospital. And while in Ronald McDonald House, you get to eat and relax and, you know, study and read and, and try to recuperate. And our daughter Faith started feeling pretty good, so she wanted to play some games. And so we went to one of the activity areas at the Ronald McDonald House where they had some board games and games. And she selected a game for us to play together. Now, uh, I don't know who made this rule up in my family, but um, yeah, she got the game Life out, okay? And so you guys remember that game? The little, you know, the little spinner and the money and like, you know, the little cars and the people and all that kind of stuff. I forgot all the details, so I had to read the instructions. And so we got, we got the, the board game out, the three of us, and we're going to play Life. Someone in my family wrote this rule that the objective to every game is beat dad. I don't know why that's the case. So we played the game. I won. Uh, as usual. And, uh, <laughs> but, the, but the objective of the game, of course, if you remember, is get through the board with all the different situations, choose a career or college, and then all the kids, no kids, and all the different you know, curveballs of life. And then at the end, you get to retire, and the person that accumulated the most wealth wins, right? And so uh, I won. But if it was a real game of life, I think it would have lost. Because <laughs> here's, here's what I was thinking, because I've been thinking about the message today, and just my mind was, was partly there as well. And as I looked at this game, I'm going, the upside of the game of life is that it has some practical, good, teachable moments about college and careers and how, you know, life can be a, 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 this curveball roller coaster ride. But then the downside of the game is that it really reinforces this mindset that our life's goal is to accumulate as much as possible, and then once we age out of the labor force, we just sit back, surrounded by our wealth, and just enjoy it until we die, and then it goes on to someone else. And it's like, really, is, is that really our life's goal? Is that really the definition of success? Like, are you sitting here today going, that's my definition of success? work hard, make a lot, accumulate a lot, and then get to a point where I can just sit back, kick back, and just enjoy all that I've accumulated. And, and I was raised under that type of thinking in my, in my home, and some of you were raised under that kind of thinking, and some of you might be there. But is that really success? Is that really the goal of life? Is that really the goal of wealth, of money, of the resources that God has for us? And so, obviously, this is the opposite of what Jesus has taught us. Jesus has taught us very um, differently about how to see wealth and money. And as we continue in the series, uh, looking at parables that Jesus taught in the book of Luke, we're coming across today one of the most difficult 
confusing, shocking parables that Jesus taught. And it's one that even today I've heard multiple people say to me, I've never heard anyone talk about this parable because it's challenging. And so we're going to look at that parable, but here's the thing. Jesus is going to be using this parable to get across some messages about wealth and money. So that's what we're talking about today. And some of you are going, oh, great. I showed up to church, brought my friend to church for the first time, and we're talking about money, you know. And I don't know where that unwritten rule came from as well, that at some point, you know, money is a taboo topic for us to talk about as a community of faith. Obviously, abuses and misuses have led to that type of sensitivity. But here's the reality. Jesus talked a lot about money. I mean, if you listen to the teaching of Jesus, the denarii, the drachma, Caesar's coin, this thing, like if you really look at the teachings of Jesus, he talks a lot about money. And so if he's comfortable talking a lot about money and he feels the need to talk to us about money, then we should be comfortable with it as well. And we actually need to ask ourselves a little bit like, why am I uncomfortable with it? And you know the heartbeat of this church if you're a CVCer. Like when we talk about money, it's not what we want from you, it's what we want for you. The experience, uh, discipline God has for you. But one of the reasons I think uh, this is a sensitive topic is because it's really not about money. When Jesus talks about money, what he's really talking about is our heart. Because one of the greatest revealers of what's in our heart is how we think about money, uh, our financial behavior, our financial worldview, all of those things. And, and it's an it's a issue of followership of Christ. In fact, I have a friend that attends this church that years ago actually came to Christ after a giving message or a message on money. Why? Because the Holy Spirit pierced his heart and helped him understand that when Jesus talked about money, he wasn't really talking about money, he was talking about the heart. And so we're going to dive in today, we're going to look at this very interesting parable, it's found in Luke chapter 16, I invite you to open up your Bibles, fire up your Bible apps to Luke 16, we're going to be looking at what Jesus is about to say here, and before we dive in, and as you're turning there, let's just go ahead and I invite you to pray with me as we prepare our hearts for receiving the Word of God. Lord, thank you for today. And it's a beautiful day that you've given us. And Father, first and foremost, we come to you right now and we absolutely praise you and thank you for being a God who provides. Lord, you uh, richly, abundantly provide for us. Lord, uh, the poorest person in this room is one of the richest in the world. And Lord, we have food and we have water and we have clothing and we have shelter. A lot of us might have transportation. We have things that uh, we need, Lord, that you've provided for. And we know that millions of people across this globe go without those things. Or it's a challenge to get to those things. So, Father, we just want to say thank you. Uh, we don't know why it is that we were born, where we were born, when we were born, to who we were born, the family we were raised in. But, Lord, we just want to say thank you. But, Lord, we also confess that this is a topic that's tender. And, Lord, we confess that we're not always wanting to have the conversation about money and wealth. Lord, we confess that um, our behavior and our mindset uh, when it comes to wealth isn't always pleasing to you. And so, Father, we ask that you sift us today. And as we read this parable and listen to the words of our Savior, God, would you have your way with us? In fact, would you just whisper that to the Lord to say, Lord, have your way with me. Do what you want to do in my life. Do what you want to do in my heart today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen. amen. We're going to read Luke 16. Here's, here's the backdrop. Jesus is in a crowd of people, and he's teaching. Very common example of what we see in the life of Jesus. And here's who's present. 
Uh, we have his disciples. These are his immediate followers, the guys he's handpicked to follow him and to train. We have a group of uh, people called the Pharisees and Sadducees. If you were to look a couple chapters back, you see they're present. And these are the religious leaders of the Jewish system. They're very proud of themselves. They're very spiritually arrogant. Uh, they're very pious. They're very critical of others. And then they've labeled some of the other people in the crowd that's there as sinners. And of course, there's also some of the shady tax collectors of the time. And so uh, there's these people from all classes of socioeconomical background, uh, different religious upbringings, a lot of them Jewish. They've come, they're hearing Jesus. But here's what happens. It says in verse 1, he said to his disciples, meaning that Jesus right at this point in time, even though there's all these people present, he laser focuses on his disciples right now, which means this is a discipleship moment. This is something he's trying to get across to those who are following him closely and learning from him. So as we talk about what we're talking about today, the target audience is the follower of Christ. And, and the lesson that Jesus is teaching them is, is for us as well. And so obviously, if you're spiritually seeking, if you're exploring God, the Bible, Jesus, church, there's going to be some things for you also to take away, there's some applications, some lessons to learn. And our, our greatest hope for you is that you'll uh, learn about how much God loves you and about how much God wants to spend eternity with you and has provided the opportunity for forgiveness, for peace, hope, joy, purpose in life through a relationship with Christ. So there's something for all of us, but the target audience is the believer in Christ. And so let's find ourselves in Luke 16, starting with verse 1. He said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called them and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when, people I am, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. 50% 50 off. That's pretty good, right? Tell you what, you, if you buy this car right now, I'll give you 50% off. Like, sign me up, right? It's a big deal. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. So he gives this guy 20% off. Then the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. You guys got it? You got this figured out now? It's an easy, easy parable. It should just face value. Jesus continues into some more application. He says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Read this last part with me, please. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. He drops the parable of the shrewd or dishonest manager on them. Here's a quick review of that. Here's this manager. He has the authority. He has the responsibility of his master over all his master's estate, his, uh, his, his belongings, his money, his wealth. What's happening is he's squandering it. He's wasting it. He's reckless. He's irresponsible. If you were playing the game of life with this guy, he would be the banker. And he would have all the paper money in front of him. And he would just do what he wants with that paper money. And he would just be, you know, buying and selling and doing everything he can to benefit himself. And so what happens is the boss catches wind of this guy mismanaging his resources. And he basically says, you're out of here. You're fired. Clean your desk. You're gone. Clean the books. Clear the books. You know, put things in order. Get, you know, clean your desk. And you're out. And of course, the dishonest manager is going, oh, crud, because everything he has is the boss's. So he's living in the company house. He's driving the company car. He's got the company credit card. He's got all the relationships. Everything's wrapped up here. So being eliminated from this position, this is a white-collar guy with white-collar thinking, white-collar training, white-collar experience. He's going, no one else is going to hire me for what I'm trained to do because no one's going to hire a manager who got fired for mismanaging. And he's going, but I also don't have the strength or any desire to dig or do manual labor. And I'm too proud to beg. So what am I going to do? So he gets innovative. He gets clever. Ah, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and connect with all the guys who owe my boss money. And even though it's going to be cheating my boss out of money, I'm going to go to all these people. I'm going to give them a fat discount, which they'll be happy to get. And then at the end of the day, what he really did is he made those clients of his boss indebted to him. He gave them a sweet deal, but it was a deal with strings attached because here's what he was doing. His fate was sealed. He knew that he was getting fired. He knew it was coming. And so in his shrewdness, he prepared for the ideal future so that when his boss fired him, he now was able to go to all these people. We only have two examples, but there was many more, I'm sure. He would be able to go to these people and go like, hey, remember when I gave you that big discount? Guess what? I need a place to stay. I need some food. And then when he wears out his welcome, he can go on to the next guy like, hey, remember that big discount I gave? I need a place to stay. I need some food. So he was giving these people deals, strings attached. He was setting up his future with what he had now. And so this, this is the parable that Jesus drops on the, the, the disciples. And of course, they're saying, is Jesus commending dishonesty? Is, is Jesus praising a guy for immoral business ethics? He's not. What he's doing is he's giving us a good lesson from a bad example. And then he's wanting us to learn about wealth and money from what he just story he just told. And so as we look at the story and as we look at the application that Jesus makes, here's the three lessons we can learn. We learn three lessons of how Jesus wants us to use money. Three lessons on how Jesus wants us to use money. The first is this. He wants us to use money shrewdly. That's not a surprise, right? Shrewdly. The word shrewd in the original language in the Bible, the Greek, is the word phronimos. It means to be wise, to be clever, to be innovative, to basically look ahead with foresight and strategize based on what you see coming. And so if you look at this, shrewdness is not good or bad. Shrewdness is not moral or immoral. Shrewdness is neutral. 
You can do good things by being shrewd or you can do bad things. The dishonest manager did bad things. But Jesus is pulling out the redeeming quality of saying, but being shrewd, we can use that. We can use this clever, wise, uh, strategic thinking, knowing what's coming to our advantage. And so he's focusing on the shrewdness of the manager. And then Jesus makes this dramatic comparison. He draws into contrast two groups of people. When you look at verses 8 and verses 9, he says that the sons of the world, okay, this is basically with the gist of what he said. He says the sons of the world, which is a label that Jesus is using, to refer to ungodly people, people who don't love the Lord, believe in the Lord, don't follow Christ, or worldly people. He says the sons of the world are more shrewd. They're better at being wise, clever, and utilizing their resources for what's coming down the pipe than the sons of light. Who are the sons of light? That's a reference to the children of God, to people. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's actually calling us out. He's actually making a pretty sad contrast. He's saying, how is it that people that don't love the Lord, don't follow the Lord, don't live surrendered to the Lord, how is it they're better at using earthly wealth for earthly gain than Christians are using earthly wealth for heavenly gain? And if shrewd means you see what's coming in the future and so you do stuff now to prepare for it, we know the future, right? And by the way, retirement is not the end. Eternity is the end. And so we know that the future means that every soul in this room watching online, every soul that we know is going to spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. There's no middle ground. There's no other option. It's those places. How are we using the resources that God's given us now to prepare for that future? and to help populate heaven and get people there. We're to be shrewd, wise, clever, insightful in how we use the resources God's given us to prepare for what's coming because it's fixed and it's going to be here. And so we are to be using earthly wealth for heavenly gains. And then Jesus says something so confusing. He says, make friends with our wealth with unrighteous wealth, actually, right? So that when it fails, and we know our wealth will fail us, right? Eventually, all wealth will fail. He says, we will have friends who will receive us into eternal dwellings. Okay, let's, let's, let's first break down what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, make money dishonestly and then give it away. So do not go steal something, sell it, and then like donate it to the church. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying you bribe God to get into heaven. That somehow God is going to look at what you do with your money and based on your you know, level of giving, he's going to determine whether you get in or out. That, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you bribe people to talk about Jesus. He's not saying like, hey man, I'll give you 20 bucks if you let me talk about Jesus. Like he's, he's not saying that. He's saying make friends. We'll talk a little bit more about how we can do that. But the point of making friends is, it means that we are investing we're spiritual investors that use portions, as much as we can, portions of the resources God gives us to help other people know Christ. We're making friends for eternity. When, when you donate to a guy in the missions field, that guy's telling people about Jesus, and some of those people come to Jesus, and when they go to heaven, now you have a friend for eternity. You've invested in a soul. 
And that's why it says that we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The friends are the people who receive Christ by faith. The eternal dwellings heaven. And so how are we investing portions of what we have now that God's given us to make friends for eternity? So being shrewd means we strategically use the master's wealth for the master's mission. So being financially shrewd as Christians means that we use our earthly wealth for heavenly gain. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't do that well. We say we believe in heaven and hell. We believe that you know, we're, we're going to spend our eternity in one of those two places, but we don't always live our lives like that's true. And one of the areas that's most convicting and most telling is our financial behavior, our financial views, our financial practices, and our financial values. And so our money and how we use it and how we see it really tells us and others just how deep our conviction is that heaven and hell are real. Because if we believe that heaven and hell are real, and we do, and that's what Jesus says, then we're going to use some of our wealth to keep people out of hell and get them to heaven. We have to use the resources God's given us shrewdly. So Jesus is saying. Jesus also wants us to use our money not just shrewdly, but generously. Generously. Go back to verse 9. Let's look a little bit more at this making friends thing. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So how do we make these friends exactly with this unrighteous wealth? Which, by the way, the term unrighteous wealth can be a little confusing. When you look at the original language, the, the, the term unrighteous, it's not that money is unrighteous. It can lead us to be acting unrighteous, right? Money's neutral, okay? It's just paper, it's just metal, it's just stuff, okay? But unrighteous in this context means earthly. It's earthly and worldly. So use your earthly wealth, use your worldly wealth to make friends. Well, exactly how do we do that? We are generous with what God has given us. We are to live a generous life. So let me, let me ask you this. Would you agree with me that God is extremely generous with us? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, how is it that broken, sinful, rebellious people get to be forgiven, get to have access to heaven, get to have relationship with the God of the universe, get to have new life in Christ that fills us with a peace and a passion and a purpose and, a, and meaning and worth and value and joy. How is it that we get that for free? For free. All it takes is just believing in Christ. Believing he died on the cross for our sins. Believing he rose from the grave. We, God is so generous to us. And so why is it then people who've received so much from a generous God have such a hard time being generous? Isn't that just twisted? Like, don't you just look at yourself in the mirror and go, blah. You know, it's like, we're like I, sometimes I just disgust myself. When, when I look at all these qualities, like shrewd, I like the concept of being shrewd. Uh, I like the next concept we're going to talk about. When I look at the three concepts, personally, this one's still one of the hardest for me generosity is still hard for me. Just part of the way I was raised, part of my nature. Uh, generosity is not an impulse for me. It's something that like the Lord has to sometimes pry things out of my fingers. So for example, if I look at stuff that I have that I don't need anymore, my first impulse, offer up Facebook market, baby. Let's make some money. Let's sell this thing and let's buy something else with it or you know whatever. But that's my first impulse. Nothing wrong with that. That sometimes can be great stewardship. Nothing wrong with that. 
okay? But the step of growth for me would be like, you know what, who else needs this? Like, who just needs this? I can just give it to instead of trying to make a buck. Like, I just need to give it to us. Like, that, that's one thing. The harder thing is pushing it even further, going, but what about the stuff I feel like I do need? It's easy with the stuff that I don't need. Like, look, it's been in my basement for two years. Who needs this or who needs it in their basement now, right? <laughs> but what about the stuff I think I need, but also I, go, I feel like God wants me to just, who needs it more? Who, who needs it more? And so generosity is, is, is challenging. But when you look at this, this, this making friends for eternity, it means that we are just open-handed and we're spontaneously generous. Generosity becomes a way of life. We create margin in our life so that we can be generous with planned intentionality, but also spontaneity. You know, back to Chicago, we were walking around a little bit one day while Faith was recovering, and uh, Ronald McDonald House is downtown. Sort of like two blocks from Michigan Avenue. So if you're familiar with the Magnificent Mile and all the shops, like that's where we're staying. And so there's all these high-end shops and all these, if it's there on that street, it's just, there's all the shopping. And of course, also, there's a lot of people in poverty. You have homeless men and women sitting there and asking for food and asking for money and trying to, you know, you know get the resources. And this stuff was on my mind. So you know the Lord was messing with me a little bit, right? Because I'm like, I'm going into a shop to get a little something-something and I walk out, and then there's this person, you know, and then, of course, all your biases will, you know, they'll kick in and all that kind of stuff. And my personal practice, I don't tend to give money. I tend to try to just give resources, you know. That's just my personal practice, but, you know, people are going to do what God convicts them of. And it just felt funny. So at one point, we went into a small supermarket to just get a couple things, and then we just started piecing together this lunch, just put some stuff together just to, just to bless somebody. And so we walked out, and, and, you know, I want my daughter to learn to do that, and, you know, we want to be actively doing that. And so we walked across the street, and there was this woman there, definitely in a tough place, and Faith was able to give her the bag lunch. And, you know, I don't know whose smile was bigger, hers or my daughter's, right? And she just said, thank you, and, and you know, I could tell she didn't want to chat, and we moved along. If you guys have done that kind of stuff, doesn't that feel good? It feels good. Now, it's not supposed to be like, ah, yeah, I'm a generous person. It's just, it feels right. It feels like I'm doing something God's called us to do, to be generous. But then conviction came into my heart because I'm going, when's the last time I did that? When's the last time I did that? And so it was a good thing, and I'm, I'm glad we did it, but the conviction for me is like, I need to do that more. <laughs> Finding ways to be generous with big or little. And so a Christian's um, financial ethic isn't an emphasis on getting. It's an emphasis on what? giving. And so we need to grow in giving and giving generously. And so this is what it means. And so uh, I was thinking about, for example, Pastor Josh's message last week and how this ties into that a little bit. He talked about the Good Samaritan. If you're familiar with that parable or if you were here, it's the parable Jesus tells about the man who gets beaten up. He's left on the side of the road and two uber religious people like, you know, pass him up. But then a Samaritan stops and cares for him and puts him up and all those kinds of things. And, of course, the, the thing that Jesus was saying is we're supposed to love our neighbor like that. I love, I love how Josh defined neighbor. He said it's anyone who God puts in your path. Anyone who God puts in your path. And then, and then Pastor Josh said this. He says, if you're going to make a difference, it will cost you some money. <laughs> That's just true, right? If we're going to make a difference in this world, it's going to cost us money. You, you can only do so much with our time. You can only do so much with our talent. At some point, we got to dip into our pockets and just bless people by using our resources. 
And so when we are talking about being financially generous, we're talking about using our earthly wealth for heavenly gain in a generous way. Well, God was generous to us. We should be generous to others. So Jesus, how does he want us to use our money? Shrewdly, thinking about what's coming and how can we use it now to prepare for that. Generously, by just you know, making friends, by being generous, by being open-handed, by extravagantly loving others the way that Christ loved us. And thirdly, as we look at all that Jesus is saying here, story and teaching, he also wants us to use our money faithfully. Faithfully. Look again at verses 10 through 13 with me. of Luke 16. I want to read it. I'm going to ask you, whenever we see the word faithful, say it out loud with me, okay? So verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Do you see the theme of faithfulness there? God wants us to be faithful with our money. Well, money, let's just kind of get some clarity here. Money's neutral. Money's not evil. It's neutral, right? But our relationship to money isn't neutral. We usually either, either our money has us or we have our money. Either we use money as a tool in this life and it serves us. Or money becomes the master and we serve it. So money's neutral, but our relationship to it is not. And so when God says, I'm going I'm to allow these resources into your life, some of us more than others, he says, I want you to be faithful with whatever I give you, little or much. The problem is we convince ourselves that if we have more, then we'll be more faithful, then we'll be more generous. So think about it this way. Let's say this little box represents your wealth and resources. And some of you are going, that box exactly represents my wealth and resources. God is saying, if, if, if you are faithful with a little, you will be faithful with much. But we're saying, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm having a hard time being generous with this. Instead, tell you what, why don't you give me, Lord, more, Right? Lord, give me more, and then I'll have more, and I'll be more generous, and I'll be more faithful. Like, like give me this, and now I'll have margin to, to be faithful and generous and all these kinds of things. And Jesus is saying, no, you won't. No, you won't. Because if you won't do it with this, you're not going to do it with this. This represents your values. This represents your character. This represents your behavior. This is how you manage this, how you see this, how you wield this. This is who you are when it comes to finances. So don't kid yourself thinking that if I give you more, you're going to become someone different. You're going to be the same person, but now you just have more to be the same person with. If you're dishonest with this, you'll be dishonest with that. If you're faithful with this, you'll be faithful with that. That's, that's the reality of what God is saying here but we're, we convince ourselves different. Like, like, just think about the tithe. If you are unwilling to give $1 out of 10, you're not going to give 100 out of 1,000. <laughs> you're not going to give 1,000 out of 10,000 because you're unwilling to let go of one out of 10. This is just an example of the truth that Jesus is saying. And then he presses in, he goes, hey, look, this amount that I've given you is borrowed. I've, I'm loaning it to you 
So let's see how you do with what I loan you. And then if you're really good with it, I've got more for you to use. This, this is temporary. This is earthly. This is worldly. Let's see how you deal with that. And if you do really well with that, I've got something that's eternal, true riches, heaven, grace, the Holy Spirit, all these things. But if you're going to be so wrapped up in this, you're going to miss out. And here's what's so sad. Here's what's so sad when we think about our lives, if we really want to be honest. It's like we spend this life just trying to fill this thing, and then we hoard it. It's like, man, this, this, is, this is mine. And God's like, well, I gave it to you, but okay. <laughs> this is mine. I, I earned it. Well, in Deuteronomy, it says all wealth and the ability to make wealth comes from God. This is mine. And so we, we, we hold this so tight. And I think sometimes it makes God's heart sad because he goes, you hold this closed and tight, but you have no idea what's available to you. You have no idea that I would gladly trade this little thing and open up the resources that I have for you to flow out in your life. And so faithfulness, little or big, it doesn't matter. The principle is, are we faithful with whatever wealth God has given us? And then he presses in a little bit further and says, part of this faithfulness is making sure that money is never above God. Like, like our money, like God should always be above the money, not next to and not under. And Jesus is saying, you can't serve two masters, right? These are, these are two different ways of thinking, two different philosophies and understandings. Uh, I love how author Pink, who's a Christian theologian and author from the early 1900s, really embraces and kind of articulates this dichotomy. He says, these orders are diametrically opposed he says, the one commands you walk by faith, the other you walk by sight. One to be humble, the other to be proud. The one to set your affections on the things above, the other is to set them on the things that are on earth. The one to look at the things unseen and eternal, the other to look at the things seen and temporal. The one to have your conversation in heaven, the other to cleave to the dust. I like that. The one to be careful for nothing, the other to be full of anxiety the one to be content with such things as you have, the other to enlarge your desires, the one to be ready to distribute, the other to withhold, the one to look at the things of others, the other to look at one's own things, the one to seek happiness in the creator, the other to seek happiness in the creature. Is it not plain? There is no serving two such masters. Many of us know, if not all of us know, the irreconcilable tension inside of us of trying to serve both God and money, right? Why is it that we slip into that? We should always serve God. Always serve God. And if we serve God, money becomes a tool. It becomes a resource. It becomes our servant. Your money becomes your servant when you love God and serve God. But if you love money and serve money, you become the servant of your money. And you'll use every penny for self-comfort, self-indulgence, self-purpose, self-things. And then we miss out on all the joy that comes with just being shrewd and generous and faithful. I just want to clarify a couple things. We're not, we're not talking about wealth being a bad thing. I hope you guys are getting that. Like there's a lot of mature believers that are wealthy. That's not the issue. There's a lot of mature believers that work hard and get paid well. 
That's, that's not the issue. The issue is the heart. So yes, we, we have wealth and resources. Yes, save for the future. Yes, um, retire. Yeah, splurge on your family every now. Like that, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about making sure that we don't serve money, but that it serves us as we serve Christ for his glory. We take our earthly wealth and we're devoted to using it for heavenly gain. But in order to do that, you have to have your money. Your money can't have you. So if you think about that question for a second, like, do you have your money or does your money have you? Uh, let's just kind of poke at that a little bit. Like, here's some questions that might help us. Uh, do you have a hard time giving money away? If so, your money probably has you. Uh, are you always thinking about money, obsessing over how much you have, don't have? If so, your money might have you. Whenever you're paid, do you faithfully and joyfully give to God first or do you only look out for yourself? Uh, if not, maybe money has you. Let, let's... let's, let's articulate this visually. Let's, let's take this a little bit step further and look at it visually. In your notes is a circle. Look at the circle on the bottom of your note sheet on your program, okay? Grab a pencil or pen next to you really fast. And this is something you can do as an individual or with your spouse if you're with your spouse. This is an empty pie chart. If you were to guess how much of your wealth, how much of your resources that God allows you to have that you actually repurpose back into God's kingdom efforts, how much is it? And represent that by a little slice of the pie, all right? So right now, just take a little, make a little wedge, you know, something like this. Like, how much do you think of what God has given you are you actually using for kingdom purposes? So just look at that. We're not going to do show and tell, all right? We're not going to, like, pass it around. Just look at this. this is for you and God and whoever you choose to show. But the next question is this. What do you feel like God wants you to do? Like, what's God calling you to do? Put a dotted line. Like, measure out another section. It's a dotted line. Like, I think, I think this is where I'd love to be. I'd love to be in this place. As far as shrewdness and generosity and faithfulness, I'd love to be here. Just put that dotted line. And what's your next step to get there? The thing about this shrewd manager is when he saw his situation, he just acted upon it. He says, what shall I do? I know what I'll do. I'll do this. And right now, God might actually have put something on your heart. Don't, don't debate. Don't argue. Just be like, all right, let's do it. And go after whatever that next step will be to not ensure your money has you. So we reflect on this parable, the shrewd manager. We see that Jesus wants us to use our money shrewdly, generously, and faithfully. Some of you are like, but I still need to know exactly what that looks like. Like, okay, I hear you, but give me a little bit more specificity. So here's just a few examples of, of what that looks like. Uh, obviously, faithfully tithing to the Lord. 10%, no questions asked, goes to the Lord, you know, um, done. Or work to increase your tithe. All right, maybe, maybe I'm going to want to go for 12% or 15%. Like, how much can I grow my tithe to the Lord? Also, give over and above your tithe to the Lord's work. Here's another way you can do this. So you do that by supporting mission trips, going on mission trips, supporting missionaries, reaching unreached people group, supporting ministries that preach the gospel, teach the Bible, visit the prisoner, give food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothes to the naked, medical care to the sick, serve the local poor and needy um, and hurting. Maybe you need to become obsessed with just like donating things, you know, that's a way to, to do that. A, a lifestyle of generosity, like we mentioned earlier, where you just intentionally create margin. We're just ready to just bless people when God calls you to do so. Also, hospitality to strangers. Just inviting people into your home. Uh, one great opportunity for that is a ministry partner we have. They're here today. They're called International Friendships. 
They basically have students from all over the world. Some of you are like, I can't get on a plane and go to another country to love someone from another country and hopefully they'll come to Christ. But guess what? They're coming here. And all you got to do is invite them into your home, cook meals for them, visit with them, adopt them, make them one of your family for a year or so, you know? And, and, and just say, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you money for food. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you gas. But you know what? It's shrewd. It's generous and it's faithful. So you can talk to international friendships and find out more about how you can do that. Also, the Unleash campaign that you guys have contributed to, that is definitely being shrewd and generous and faithful. The fact that we're repurposing the money we used to be using on our mortgage payment, now we're giving it to the Next Generation Ministries. And then, then also uh, the, the campus launch that we're looking to launch next fall in 2020 with uh, Pastor Josh Stone somewhere in the Brunswick, Strongsville area. The fact that we want to reach more people, that, that's definitely doing this. Also translating the Bible to our unreached people group in Indonesia. That's all application of these things. How about adopting children? How about going after a child in this world that doesn't have a home and bringing them in? Talk about making friends for eternity as you train them in the ways of the Lord, hoping that they come to know the Lord. In fact, uh, two families in our church received adoption grants this last couple weeks because of your generosity through our adoption assistance fund. And so, you know, giving to that way, giving to camp camperships for kids. Uh, there are students that went to camp last week that could have never got there. But because of your generosity, kids were able to go to camp. Uh, we heard that some of those kids came to Christ. Pastor Joe told me that 28 kids indicated a decision for Christ and 50 of those kids at camp last week want to get baptized. Like, that's exciting stuff that excites us. So these are just some of the ways. And I just want to let you know that looking at this message and looking at this topic, knowing I was going to stand in front of you with a touchy topic like this, I was filled with joy because I know a lot of you already live this way. A lot of us, a lot of us do this already and there's always room for growth. But some of us need to come online and need to be part of what God's calling us to do, to use our earthly wealth for heavenly gain. Uh, a couple things. One, some of you are listening right now and you're going, Man, I, I'd like to do that, but I feel stuck financially. I just got bills. Um, I got debt. I just, got, I, don't, I just don't know how to do this. I want to let you know about one of our ministries led by some amazing volunteers called Generous Life. Uh, their purpose is to come alongside people who desire to just make better financial decisions and think about God in their financial decision-making. And so they do one-on-one -on -one free financial coaching. They do workshops on how to manage money God's way, preparing for college, preparing your estate, all those kinds of things. And so there'll be representatives from that ministry in the foyer. That's one, uh, another, another step you can take to try to move forward in this way. Well, sometimes the best way to get a picture of what the application of our teaching looks like is to hear the story of someone who's been impacted by submitting to this um, application in their life. I just want to share a story with you today from someone in our church named Ron and his wife, Kim. And uh, Ron and Kim have been faithful CCers for years, and they've served in multiple ministries currently as an elder and also in the Generous Life ministry, stewardship teams, all these things. And he knew I was going to be teaching on this. And he said, hey, I'd love to share my story in person. But um, if you want to read it, you can. So you have to suffer through me reading it instead of him telling you. But here's what, he, here's what he shares. He says, when I was younger, I was the manager who wasted his master's possessions. I was making a good income as a technology manager, but consuming everything I made. Much of what drove my spending was trying to maintain the appearance that I was better off than I really was in order to impress others. I bought gadgets and computers. I ate out all the time. I leased or bought nice cars. I spent a lot of money on entertainment, golfing, you name it. 
When my income wasn't enough to maintain the lifestyle, I turned to debt using credit cards and taking out loans. However, in spite of everything I had, I still felt unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and began to suffer from depression because my debt had grown to two-thirds of my annual income, and I was having difficulty keeping my head above water. My stuff was the master I was serving. Then my world changed when I came to accept Christ into my heart. The more I pursued knowing Him, and the more I grew in my love for Him, the more my life transformed. One day, I read the parable of the rich fool and realized I had been laying up treasure for myself and was not being rich towards God. I was the fool. I had been buying things I didn't need with money I didn't have to impress people I didn't really want to be like. (laughs) That was a turning point for me. I sold everything I could to break my addiction to stuff. And instead of using the money I made to pay down debt, I decided to tithe and give it all to ministry. I was not faithful with what God entrusted to me for years. So I felt like I was giving back to him that which I had abused. I continued to learn about stewardship, eventually paid off all my debt, and made the choices to serve God, not my stuff. As I've matured spiritually over the last 19 years, I've realized that I need to be like the dishonest manager, not wasting what God has entrusted to me, but using my worldly wealth for the kingdom to come. Man, that, that's a picture of new life in Christ. And when Ron gave his life to Christ, he received that new life and it touched his heart. Because it touched his heart, it touched his wealth. May the the same be true for us. As we think about what Jesus boldly says to us in this parable. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. Thanks for loving us enough to get in our business, to challenge us, to confront us, to love us, to draw us to an understanding of even something like wealth. Father, again, we confess that some of us have served wealth. We've made it our master. And Lord, we've suffered the consequences of that difficult master and the stress and the anxiety and sometimes the lack of joy, Lord. Such fleeting moments of happiness consumed by anxiety and lack of joy later. Father, help us not to continue that pattern. Help us to break out of that. Help us to be shrewd. Help us to be generous. Help us to be faithful, Lord. God, I pray for anyone here watching online that they know the first step of generosity and faithfulness and shrewdness is coming to you as Savior. I pray that they bow their knee, bow their heart, and accept you as Savior, surrender their life to you. So God, take our lives, take the resources you've given us, take the very offering we're about to receive, use it all for your glory, for your purposes. Help us use earthly wealth for heavenly gains. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen.